blessing that was. And I know Jerry was praying for some extra breath today, and I think the Lord answered that prayer. That was, that was excellent. Appreciate the way in which uh, Jerry plays and uh, his love for good Christian music and the diligence I know he puts in uh, many hours of practice and uh, even does some writing of his own music and uh, very talented and uh, so blessed to uh, have Jerry use his talents for the Lord and to bless us with uh, that, that special this morning. How can I fear? I grew, grew up, I think I learned that song listening to Patch the Pirate cassette tapes as, uh, as a boy and uh, I've always loved that song. Sometimes would fall asleep listening to Kidnapped on Island. And uh, that Patch the Pirate uh, cassette tape, now CD, now digital download. I know cassette tapes for some of the younger generation, they don't even know what I'm talking about. Um, but uh, that was a song that was on that Patch the Pirate uh, tape, and I grew up listening to that. And so thankful for that song, that ministry and song today. James chapter number 1, James chapter number 1. I must admit, this, this passage, I have wrestled with this passage immensely in preparation for uh, this uh, sermon this morning. Um, God has, has worked me over in preparing, but also in wanting to present this passage in, in a way that is appropriate, that is proper, that is according to good principles of biblical interpretation. Um, honestly, I, I struggled with finding, through several commentaries, several different resources, I struggled with finding the expansion of this text to understand within the context how James is dealing with the tongue. He is going to deal with the tongue in James 3, and he is going to hold nothing back. In James 3, he is going to address our sin with our mouth in some very bold and uh, very specific ways. And some of the comparisons of world of iniquity and a fire. And we'll, we'll deal with that in, in James 3. I've often looked at this verse in James 1 and verse 19. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. I've often just quoted that. I've often used that to say, sometimes you just need to be quiet. And yes, there is an application there. There is an interpretation there that we can this verse. There are times where we, we talk way too much. I'm guilty of it. I am a man of much opinion. And uh, I have had to learn, and I still have to learn sometimes when and where to give my opinion and how to give it. And uh, I've had some uh, humble pie through the years as I've sometimes given my opinion in a certain way or at a certain time when it really wasn't appropriate, and I've had to learn sometimes the hard way. Should we be swift to hear? Of course, we spent considerable amount of time last week looking at how we are to be good hearers, ready, eager hearers of the Word of God. That is the context, hearing the Word of God. We've already seen in James 1 and verse 5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. In verse 18, he makes reference to the Word of truth. So James is drawing us to a, or bringing us to a place of conclusion at the end of chapter 1 that is 
going to zero in and focus on are being not just hearers and receivers of the word, but to be doers of the word, that the word of God goes deep inside our life and we live it out, that the word of God is allowed to form godly character and integrity and that we walk like we talk. And you've heard it said, our talk talks and our walk talks, but our walk talks louder than our talk talks. Now say that ten times real fast and you'll probably get your tongue twisted. But that is in a summary statement what James is really driving home here in chapter 1. When we go through trials, we ask God for wisdom. His word is what will sustain us by his grace through the promises, the commands, and the principles of his word. We can count it all joy. And we've looked at that and spent considerable time there. He deals then with temptation. And we talked about considering the consequences, considering God's goodness, and considering our salvation, the divine nature within us. And he, at the conclusion of that paragraph, he draws our attention to this word of truth. And being the first fruits of his creatures, that we live according to the standard of God's word, that we live up to the calling wherewith he hath called us. And the only way to do that is to live by the word of God, to live according to the word of God. God has revealed his word, he has inspired his word, the infallible, inerrant word of God, preserved for us today. We have his word, and we know from other passages of Scripture, as we've been going through Psalm, one time, Psalm 119, as we have spent time in other places and other passages this year, as our theme for this year has been confidence in the Bible, confidence in the Word of God, we see James focusing our attention upon the necessity of living out obediently the truths of the Word of God. Not just being a good Bible memory student, which we should memorize the Bible. Not just being a good Bible trivia student, not that we shouldn't know some of the trivia of the Bible, but truly knowing, receiving, being, and then doing. So we come again to verse 19, and in the context, again, verse 19 is referring to hearing the Word of God, receiving the Word of God. This command is found throughout Scripture, as we looked at last week. So slow to speak in its context seems to refer to speaking the word of God. But that immediately in our minds draws up a contradiction. It seems to be a contrast that is not able to be solved. So is James saying that we should hesitate to speak the word of God? Well, that would be contrary to scripture. The only other place that we see this word slow in its original language, the only other place we see this word slow in the New Testament is in Luke 24 and verse 25. Then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Well, that word slow in Luke 24 and verse 25, has to do with being dull of hearing, 
has to do with an unwillingness to believe the truth, an unwillingness to receive the truth. So, in the context, as we understand, James is talking about the Word of God, hearing, receiving the Word of God, being good hearers, being attentive to, ready to receive, listening and receiving the Word of God. Then it would seem that he is also saying that we should be slow to speak the Word of God and even understanding the meaning of that root word that is also translated slow in Luke 24, 25, then it seems that James is teaching us that we should be unwilling to speak when it isn't necessary to do so, and when we speak, it should be aligned with the Word of God. So our tongue should reflect our faith in God and our life should back that up. And James is really going to deal with this. I can't help but wonder if James hasn't dealt with too many hypocrites in the church. And as a pastor, as he's preaching, as he's pastoring in Jerusalem, and as he is leading the church, and he is dealing with first-generation Christians, and he's writing to Jews who have even suffered in persecution, and they're having children, and will have children, and there's going to be a second, and Lord willing, a third generation of believers. I think James is really burdened that there be a true life that backs up what is said, and that we not just be Jesus talkers, that we not just have all the lingo and know all the nomenclature, and have all the right bumper stickers, and wear all the right t-shirts, but that we be true Christians, genuine Christians, in walk and in talk. So three principles I want us to see as we look at this verse. Three principles concerning being slow to speak. First of all, the church, the church should be careful when endorsing a preacher of the word of God. Slow to speak. Unwilling to endorse a preacher who is not qualified morally, doctrinally, in character, in calling, in conduct, and in ability. Now let's think about this for a moment. In 1 Timothy 5 and verse 22, the Bible says, Lay hands suddenly upon no man. The early church, Paul writes to Timothy and he says, the church needs to be careful not to lay hands upon, as in identifying with and saying this man is called to preach. Do not do that suddenly. Do that carefully, considerately, lest the church be complicit in a man who is not qualified to preach due to his doctrine, due to his character, due to his lack of calling, his conduct, or ability. We also know in 1 Timothy 3 and verse number 6 that one of the qualifications of a pastor should be that he is not to be a novice, a rookie, so to speak. Um, in the modern vernacular, I think it's a, a newbie or something like that. Okay. It's important for a man who preaches the word to 
have the education, to have the training, to have the ability, the call, that that is recognized by God's people, and that he not just be pushed out there and be devoured by the wolves, nor to spout forth doctrine that is in error, or to not be able to properly interpret, rightly divide the word of truth, There are some denominations that if you believe you have received an unction from the Holy Spirit, you just go out and you find a pulpit and you begin preaching. Or stand up in church and just begin to say whatever it is that maybe you feel like you have just received an unction from the Holy Spirit. And the various excesses of that, okay? There are some who believe that. I know some people who they think that, well, I'll just admit that they were critical of me. Why did I have to go off and get four years of Bible college and a couple years of seminary and do internships, at least three, before I was even on a pastoral staff? And there were some who, a couple people in particular, that were critical of my parents, critical of me. Why would you waste all that time, is basically how they put it. And it was this conviction that when God calls a man, he also prepares a man. And Moses had to be prepared. We look at various prophets. Even Jesus did not begin his public ministry until age 30. The priests in the Old Testament only could perform certain priestly functions once they reached the age of 30, I believe it was. But we also see in James 3 and verse number 1, James 3 and verse number 1, My brethren, be not many masters. Be not many masters. The preaching and teaching of God's word is to be done very seriously and very soberly. So James is saying there are men who are called to lead the church. There are the apostles. They have now died and gone away, that apostolic gift is not functioning today. There's now the evangelist, the pastor-teacher. Okay, We know that deacons have a role in the church, a function in the church, and have specific qualifications. But the preaching and teaching of God's word is to be done reverently, to be done soberly, to be done very seriously. It's not to be done flippantly. We have to be careful. Hebrews 13 and verse 17 says that pastors watch for your souls and must give an account. So some people have asked, do I get nervous when I preach? And I'll admit, I say yes every time I preach. I always get nervous. And it's not so much that I am not familiar with being behind the pulpit. Some people just public speaking alone scares them out of their mind. I love, I love public speaking to a, to a certain degree. I don't want to do politics and that kind of stuff. But I love public speaking. I love teaching. I love being up in front of a group of people and, and, and teaching the Word of God. It's, it's a passion. It's a love. I, I, I just, it's part of my call. It's just something I, I, I couldn't do without it. I just I love it. And uh, I don't ever want to take this for granted. And that's the soberness of this message and of this passage and of my call. Do I get nervous? Yes. Not so much necessarily of public speaking, but of the seriousness of my labor. I mean, I have a wife and four kids who 
watch me on a regular basis. And they expect me to actually do everything that I preach from the pulpit all the time. Well, I say that somewhat facetiously, okay? They know I'm human. But it matters that I live up to what I preach from behind this pulpit. It is a serious responsibility. My walk must match my talk. And so much the more as a preacher of God's word. The application to us as parents. How important it is that there not be hypocrisy in the home. That our walk matches our talk. Little eyes are listening. Little ears are listening. Or little eyes are watching. Little ears are listening. They're observing, right? They're watching. It's amazing sometimes what they pick up. It's amazing the influence that we have on people's lives. Is it for Christ or is it a reproach to Christ? James is dealing with that. James is really emphasizing our being slow to speak in the sense that we are very careful and specifically as a church that we not endorse a preacher who claims to be preaching the word of God who is preaching false doctrine, who's morally unqualified or disqualified, who's not called, whose conduct betrays what he is preaching or teaching, that his ability be according to what the Bible describes as apt to teach. So certainly there is good reason for a church to be cautious with those who believe they are called to preach. It is a serious business. Some churches will put their endorsement on a man who is doctrinally not sound. And we have seen what that does to churches and denominations. They'll put qualifications, or excuse me, they'll put endorsement on a man in some denominations wrongly. And I say this in in all due respect to women who have a vital role in the church. But there are churches who will wrongly endorse a woman and ordain her to a preaching ministry. That's against the scriptures. But churches will endorse a man who's not qualified in his conduct, in his character. I remember in an internship I did on the west side of Indianapolis between semesters of college, and I remember knocking on doors and visitation and various conversations with people in the community say we are from and I would mention the church's name and they would say oh you're from that church come to find out that church the pastor the a previous pastor I think it was two or three pastors previous had run a building campaign and sold bonds and was keeping the profits so there was no savings for a building it was all a big charade and he was taking the money The feds got involved, he ended up in federal prison. And it obviously affected the testimony of the church in that community. It was hard to even invite people to church because it was so well known in the news, on and on. And he had maligned the church's name and brought reproach on the name of Christ. Well, I found out when we moved to Terre Haute in our first ministry... In Terre Haute, I found out that that man had been released from prison. He had kept a following while he was in federal prison and now had a church on the north side of Terre Haute. 
And I drove by that church, and there it was. And he was pastoring a little church on the north side of Terre Haute. And I thought, that man's not qualified. He has no business being in the pulpit, pastoring a church. He disqualified himself. And that church is complicit in that error by calling a man who was not qualified. We could go on and on about qualifications. It just is, again, a reminder we have to be careful. Should young people be encouraged to follow God's call and be sensitive to God's leading? Yes, we should encourage. We should nurture. We should help a young person be sensitive to God's leading, to God's call. I'm thankful for people who are that way with me. But we should, we should not put too much pressure on them or hold them to unrealistic expectations. The ministry is also not a place for pride and self-exaltation. And sadly, sometimes, and I have seen it even among some of my peers and going through Bible college and seminary, there are sometimes young men, and we see it in the celebrity culture and the celebrity preachers, the celebrity pastors, and I heard a new term, we were talking about this last night at the Hobo Stew, but there's even a new term I found out called Big Eva, Big Evangelistic Association, okay? In other words, an evangelical association or organization that now has become so big, it's almost dictating to churches, and it's not under the authority of a local church, and they have become Big Eva. And in our celebrity culture with celebrity pastors, there are some who see the ministry as a way to elevate themselves to a place of power in in the training of some of these so-called Bible colleges, the pastors come out more as CEOs or executive VPs than they do preaching and handling the Word of God and teaching the Word of God. And I don't know about you, but I have no desire to run around going to corporate business meetings trying to figure out how to move money around and how to get the church's name bigger in the community. I, if if, if Berean Baptist Church becomes big in the community, I want it to be because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because people are getting saved and lives are changing. <laughs> Not because we have some great marketing program. So we have to be careful as a church. The church has to be careful when endorsing a preacher of the word of God. That's part of being slow to speak. That's one principle. But a second principle I want us to to consider this morning. We should be good interpreters of the Word of God. Don't mishandle the Bible. We are all obligated as believers to handle the Word of God properly. But as we look at the primary application, the primary application of slow to speak within the context here, James is concerned about people who have a lot to say, even a lot to say about the Word of God, but are not good hearers and receivers of the Word. James is laying the foundation for being both a hearer and a doer. Verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Verse 25, but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. 
So we see that James is emphasizing the fact that hearing is receiving, becomes a being, it forms our character and our convictions, produces a life of integrity, and then the message, the words that we speak, then reflect a heart, reflect an internal being, reflect an internal character that is Christ-like. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. That's why I chose Luke 6. Because even in that passage, there's the condemning of the brother who has the splinter in his eye. Right? When I have a big beam, I have a huge 2x4 or 6x8 or cross beam or something like that in my eye, but I'm over there condemning the brother who has the little splinter. The hypocrisy. And even in Luke 6, Luke is dealing with the integrity of the hearts, that our words match, or that our life matches our words. And James is dealing with it similarly, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So James is laying this foundation for being a hearer and a doer. But I want to be careful here. I, want, I don't want to be misunderstood. I, I want to present this in the right way and handle the word of God correctly. But we need to be able to defend our faith. Yes, of course we do. We need to be able to defend our faith. We need to give a reason for the hope that lies within us. We are not to be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Joshua 1 and verse number 8, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. In other words, it should be on the tip of our tongue. We should be ready to speak the word of God. It should be normal and natural for us to have conversations that include the word of God, what God is doing in our lives, and how God is working in our hearts and our lives. It should be normal and natural. Just like we talk about the weather, we talk about Purdue football, who finally got a win last night. We, we, we talk about all these things, right? And I am one of the first because I enjoy sports. And there's lots of different issues and interests. And as we talk about those things, yes, it should be even more normal and more natural for us to talk about our God and what God is doing in our hearts and doing in our lives. And sadly, we see that some Christians have no relationship with God, very little relationship with God, very shallow, very apathetic, because talking about God is very uncomfortable for them. It's not normal, it's not natural. They can't say anything about what God is doing in their hearts because they barely go to church, barely read their Bibles, and are not in tune to the Holy Spirit. They're not hearers of the Word. But yes, we need to be able to defend our faith. Yes, we need to give a reason for the hope that lies within us. Yes, we should not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. The Word of God should be on the tip of our tongue. But James is addressing something here. We can write, we can blog, we can post, we can even preach and teach and converse with the lingo, with the terminology, with the word of God, but not really be good hearers of the word, good receivers. It's not really changing us from within. We're actually resisting the work of the Holy Spirit. We're actually resisting the word of God conforming us into the image of God's Son. 
So what I'm saying is, as we think about slow to speak, we have to consider this principle of being good interpreters, good appliers, good applicants of the Word of God, not mishandling the Bible and letting the Word of God change us from within, produce within us a Christ-likeness that we are not just knowing, but we are being. I would talk about, in Bible college, having the props, the rules, some of which were a little ridiculous, but for the most part, they were very good and very helpful for me. I needed them, the structure. We would have the Bible classes, we would have the chapels, we would have the various discipleship groups. But if I depended on the props, my spiritual life would become shallow and weak. And my heart would not be in tune with God. I could go to chapel, I could go to Bible classes, I could even prepare a sermon to preach in pulpit speech class. And my heart not be right with God if I just depended on the props. And I had a professor who would say, let the cream of your life be what affects the people. And he was saying that you should be so real that the overflow of your life is what comes out in your pulpit ministry, in your teaching ministry, in your public ministry. But the real you is the integrity, the character out of which that flows. And I love Dr. Custer for saying that. He's with the Lord now. And he lived what he preached. But boy, that was like a dagger to us preacher boys. And what did Paul say as he came down to the end of his ministry as he's getting ready to go to Jerusalem? He says, take heed unto thyself, consider thyself and the doctrine. He says, deal with your own heart, your own life first before you think about preaching, teaching others the word of God. Dr. Bob Taylor down at Colonial Hills Baptist Church, he got interviewed one time by the Indianapolis Star. And it was a fair assessment of various ministries, and they interviewed Dr. Bob Taylor, who it was under his ministry that I got saved as a boy, young boy. And Dr. Bob Taylor said, when they asked him, who is your, who is your, 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 your biggest trouble, what's your biggest problem in the ministry, what's your biggest trial, your biggest struggle? And I love what Dr. Taylor said. He said, the biggest struggle, the biggest challenge I have in the ministry is me, my own heart. I respected that man. He was on my ordination council. I love that man. I, I think he's, um, he, he's, he's not as physically active as he used to be. But I appreciated what he said. And it reminded me of what Dr. Custer taught us. But this is true for all of us as believers. And that's what James is really getting and driving home. We love to be good talkers. And, and, and the internet, the social media is full of people who have a keyboard and a screen. And yet they have very little discernment. They are not good hermeneutics. They don't have good hermeneutics. If you don't know the word hermeneutics, it's the, the, the science, so to speak, of interpreting the scriptures. There are people, they have a keyboard, they have a screen, and they think that they are now an expert on the word of God. And they can go off on all kinds of tangents. They can get on their soapboxes. If you look a little deeper sometimes, you'll find that many of them have very little to do with a local church. Many of them are not serving faithfully in their own local church, if they're even involved in a Bible-preaching, teaching church. 
So as I enjoy podcasts and things, I often do a little research and dig a little deeper. First of all, are there, is their doctrine right? Of course, okay. But also, what is their emphasis? What is their personal life? What are their, what's their involvement? What's their view of the local church? I mean, all these things come into, come into play. And people will listen and people will get on the internet and they'll go on various channels and not all of it's bad. I know I sound sometimes like a naysayer when it comes to social media. I'm not saying it's all bad. It's got its place. But so many people are off on tangents. They're running a rabbit trail and chasing a possum. Or do possums climb trees? Or, uh, or whatever he climbs the tree that the, the dog's chasing. And it's a, a futile effort. And usually it's to get subscribers, to get followers, to get a monetary income from, and so they have to distinguish themselves. And sometimes it's the tangents and it's the wrong interpretation of scripture that gets the most likes, that gets the most followers, that gets the most views. And they suck people in and they get them carried away and they're no longer even, in some cases, those podcasters, those bloggers, they're even saying, don't go to your local church. Don't bother with the church. The church is for the old days. It's for the old timers. That's wrong. And we have to be so careful. So careful. Many of, many of these so-called Christian or Bible teachers on the internet, many of them are not solid Christians at home or in their families. They can make a good-looking social media account. They can claim to be Bible scholars. They can gain followers and subscribers. But many times when you really watch, they draw people away from the church. Sometimes they'll say the church isn't necessary, and they don't rightly divide the word of truth. Again, I'm not trying to be overly negative. I just want to caution. I want to sound a warning. It's part of my role as a pastor and trying to be a good pastor and a good shepherd to you is that we have to be warned of the wolves. We have to be warned of even sheep who are caught up in the mud, in the muck, in the mire, who have their head stuck through the grass trying to find the, the grass they think is greener on the other side. And it's actually just artificial turf or it's the grass that's over the septic tank. It's really not good grass. It may look good, and they want to point us there, and they're off on these tangents and these soapboxes, and they think they have this nuance of understanding, and they have the secret. We have to be so careful. People go off on these tangents, these rabbit trails. They become focused on pet peeves and hobby horses, and sometimes even good scriptural topics, but they get carried way too far away and begin to overemphasize certain things, and they go beyond what the scripture says or fall short of what the scripture is really teaching. Just a couple of examples this morning. I, I was years ago, and I was in the throes of looking for who the Lord would have me to marry and understanding that I needed to be the kind of person that was marryable, the kind of Christian, to love God first and to not get so worried about all this dating stuff. And at the same time, I, was, I had some social interests but all of that social interest ended up, it didn't work. And now I'm a four-year graduate from Bible college, and I, have, and I have no prospects. I go on to seminary, 
two years in seminary and still no prospects. So there's other guys that are getting married, they're, they're going off into the ministry or whatever, and I'm feeling like a loser. And of course, along that same time is a book called I Kissed Dating Goodbye by Joshua Harris. And I, I'm not saying that everything in that book was wrong. There, there, were, there was some good advice. There was even some good biblical moral advice about purity. But there was something that bugged me about that book. There just seemed to be some imbalance and some overreaching in some areas. And I had some friends, I had some, I even had, um, there, was, there were some people in our social group in seminary. There was a, a group that we went to the same church and we were in the same young adult, single adult college career class and we had conversations and and I just, I just struggled. There was something about that book that just bugged me. And I just would not buy into it. There were some that were buying into it, hook, line, and sinker. I mean, it was becoming the, the, the title, the theme of these single adult conferences and these college career conferences. And it was someone had finally found the secret to how to win someone to be your, your spouse. They, Joshua Harris had it all figured out. He, he finally had it all down. But sadly, we just found out in the last few years that Joshua Harris deconstructed his faith. He walked away from God and condemned the very faith that he once claimed. I'm not saying that every author, every trend goes that way. I'm just saying we have to be careful. Because some people go way too far. They go beyond the bounds of Scripture or they fall short of what the Scripture says. They fail to properly interpret and apply the Word of God and its principles, commands, and its promises. So should we form biblical convictions? Yes, we can. We should form biblical convictions. And we should faithfully and prayerfully apply the commands, the principles, the promises of the Word of God. We should understand the theme of Scripture is Jesus Christ, creation, fall, redemption, restoration, or consummation. We should form biblical convictions. We must have a strength to our faith and be willing to proclaim the Word of God. But we should be unwilling slow to speak, unwilling to go beyond what God's word says, but also certainly not fall short of what the Bible clearly teaches. And we have seen some. Oh, that's an allegorical passage. Oh, that has to do with hospitality. Sodom and Gomorrah had fire and brimstone rained down upon them for the sin of the lack of hospitality. You hear those kinds of things, right? Pharisaism, legalism are condemned in Scripture. But so is libertarianism and worldliness. We're to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. So when we say, when we say, the Lord told me, or God doesn't say anything about that, we need to be really careful we need to search our hearts, examine our motives, and see if that desire is really from the Lord or if it's just from the selfish lusts of our heart to try to get away with sin, to rationalize sin, to spiritualize sin, to exempt ourselves from what we know God wants us to do. So we should, as a church, we must be careful 
We must be careful when endorsing a preacher of the Word of God. Also, as believers, we should be good interpreters of the Word of God. Don't mishandle the Bible. But finally, as we come to a close today, a third principle. We must be unwilling to use our mouth contrary to the standard of God's Word. I do think we need to make that application here as James talks about being slow to speak. There is still the standard of God's Word that we must measure our mouth by. So, in James 3, as I mentioned earlier, James deals with the tongue in great length. We'll deal with some of those things more in, in James 3. But are there not principles concerning the tongue? Commands concerning the tongue that would fall under being slow to speak? Unwilling to use our mouth contrary to the standard of God's word. I don't care what the world says. A Christian should not be using vulgarity and cuss words and curse words. I know this is old fad. I know this is old school. I know this is... I I realize I, I felt this for all the years I was a school principal. But when I would correct a student at a Christian school for using God's name in vain... The older, the, the, the more I was in that role, the more I had young people look at me like I was an alien from another planet. You mean I curse God's name anytime I want? Whole thing. I mean, that was the attitude. Little kids blurt out the Lord's name in vain. Adults, parents that would come in. It was nothing. I, it seems very clear in the commandments. To not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. I realize that's more than just using God's name as a cuss word. That's wrong. I know it's also dealing with how we live, not live a life that takes the name of the Lord in vain. But surely as a believer, we should clean up our mouth and not use our God's name, our Savior's name as a cuss word. It says in Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. Just the fact that We don't cuss. We stand out like a sore thumb now. Christians, I mean, it's it's sad today. It's sad today, but there are people who it's every second or third word is a curse word. Some of the most vulgar words. It's amazing what Christians have adopted. Words that I was taught by my parents, I never say. They are normal in just the regular use of a language, of the language by people who call themselves Christians today. And I was taught by my parents who warned me about using those words. And my dad, when I came of age, he explained a certain word to me and said, you're not going to use that word. Here's what it means. Do not talk like that. And back in my day, I would get my mouth washed out with soap. <laughs> Some experienced that. I know a parent who she would put, I think it was vinegar water in a little tube, and she would put vinegar on the kids, something like our Tabasco sauce or something. I was like, you go, Mama. That's a good way to teach them as a young kid, right? You know, getting spanked for things that I would say. A couple times I said some things, and my dad and mom, they about sent me to kingdom come. You don't ever talk like that around our house. Learned real quick. Or got a spanking for it. I'm so thankful. I had a home that was not full of vulgarity and I was taught. But we are to 
Hold our mouth to the standard of God's word. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. Ephesians 4.15, speak the truth in love. That's even how we say the truth, how we declare the truth, how we say what is right. If we say it in the wrong way, we're handling the word of God inappropriately. We're not being slow to speak. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, Colossians 4 and verse 6. How much trouble we would save ourselves from if our speech were more graceful and less, less salty in the wrong sense of the word, but seasoned with the grace, the salt of God's word, seasoned with grace from God and his word. Our speech should always be always with grace, seasoned with salt. Proverbs 13 and verse 3, he that keepeth his mouth, keepeth his life. But he that openeth wide his lips shall have destruction. At the Hallmark store, there's a little quote on one of the coasters that they sell. It said, some people need, a glue, need glue stick more than chapstick. Because they need to close their mouths. <laughs> they need to quit saying so much or especially the inappropriate or the wrong things. He that keepeth his mouth, keepeth his life, but he that openeth wide his lips shall have destruction. Luke 6 and verse 45, which we've already referred to, how the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The mouth reveals the heart. And then we close with Ecclesiastes 5 and verse number 2. Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God, for God is in heaven and thou upon earth, therefore let thy words be few. We as believers, we must be quick to hear, ready to hear, attentive to the word of God, applying it, internalizing it, making it real in our life, letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly to form within us Christ-like character, integrity, and then slow to speak, being careful in the way we handle the word of God, making sure our mouth abides by the standard of God's word and as a church, that we be careful who we endorse to be a preacher of the word of God. May these principles be real and true and applicable in our lives by God's grace and for his glory. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you will do your work in our hearts. Lord, we're so thankful for this passage as James has such a burden for the church, for God's people. People who in that immediate context had suffered so much for the cause of Christ, and yet he was so burdened for their holiness, for their Christ-likeness, for their living out their faith. And Lord, he knew how much, how important it was that they get this right first, that they respond the right way with the wisdom of God to their trials, that they use properly the word of God and resisting temptation and at that they live the word of God, that it becomes every part of their being, knowing that their tongue is ultimately going to condemn them or it will bring a reward. It will be, be an example of their faith or it would condemn them because it reveals the heart. And Lord, may our hearts be right with you. Lord, even this morning, may you do your work as we close with this song that you will speak to our hearts and help us, Lord, to apply your word and to live it out for your honor and for your glory and be obedient and faithful servants for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Jake is going to come and lead us.
Our closing hymn will be 385, 385.